Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, in the church, there's a lot of confusion around the topic of tithing. And let's be honest, there's also a lot of manipulation and a lot of guilt around that topic. So why is that? What is the biblical case for Christians tithing? I'm going to try to tackle that and open that up today. And I hope that you'll come away encouraged about it and not dismayed. This is the week uh, that I'm talking about money. This is something I never do, but we're getting ready to be on pledge day, on commitment day. And so I just wanted to be really clear where we stand on money. I don't talk about it very much at all. You know, I I don't like talking about it very much at all because, you know, frankly, my journey on this has been up and down. I've had some struggles with this in my past. And I don't like talking about it too much because you guys intimidate me. Yeah, you guys are so faithful and generous. This is a generously giving church. And you guys really set the example for me. And I'm just really amazed and blown away by how good God is through you uh, to make ministry happen here. So um, I know I'm not right about this, but I'm kind of over here in this extreme. I went back and checked in my records, and the last time I preached a sermon about money was 10 years ago. So I'm pretty far over on the extreme. I don't talk about it enough. I really ought to be somewhere closer to the middle. I'm kind of on the extreme. But you know pastors, and I know pastors, that are really kind of on the other extreme over here. And they talk about it all the time. They won't stop talking about it. It's money, money, money every Sunday, 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 right? You you know what I'm talking about. I served at a church one time um, where they were very open about how Tithing at our church is expected and inspected. And what they meant by that was that if you were in any kind of role in the church, if you weren't just a pew sitter, if you were in a group, if you were in a leadership position, whatever, if you were involved in some way more, they checked up on your giving. And if they didn't think that your giving matched what it ought to be, they'd call you in to meet with the pastor. Yeah, I've been at that church. So I've seen, I mean, you're in this extreme here and I've been at this extreme over here. I've heard him talk about tithing like it's sowing seeds of faith. And if you give God a little bit of money, he will pour the money back on you. I heard one preacher talk about this is the way that you adjust your income up as you give. And uh, so you've got real extremes on tithing and what tithing is all about and what the rules and regulations are for tithing. So with this wide range brings confusion in the body of Christ. And so my hope today is to bring some clarity, is to bring some clarification on what the scripture really says about tithing and to answer the question, why doesn't your pastor tithe? 
So that's what we're doing today. I hope you'll take notes because I'm going to be talking about that today. I want to be really clear about what the Bible says about tithing. And spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the big answer right up front. Here it is, first blank on your page. Tithing is not for Christians. Hello, tithing. Got an amen from Joel. Not sure how to interpret that, Joel. Um, <laughs> but tithing, biblically, you cannot make a case for Christians Tithing, let me unpack that a little bit. Tithing is part of Israel's law. Remember, Israel is a theocracy at that time. It's a theocracy, it's not a democracy like we have today. And the word tithe is the word that means 10%. And so what you did was you paid this tithe, it was a tax and it went to the governmental rulers. It funded the government of Israel. It was your tax. It was your tithe that you paid. And there were three different types, primarily three different types of tithes that you paid. There was the Levitical tithe. Uh, you paid the Levitical tithe 10% to support uh, the ministers, the Levites, the priests, they made their living leading the people spiritually, and that's how they got paid. That's how they got fed. You also gave 10% uh, for the festival tithe. The festival tithe was your 10% that funded the ministry projects of the Levites. So you paid the staff their salary, and you paid to run the ministry, to do the festivals, to do the celebrations, to put on the big events and the things that they would do. And then the third tithe was once every three years, you paid the tithe for the poor. And so you made sure uh, that poor people had stuff. All three tithes you bring to the temple in Jerusalem, very clear how it's commanded to be done. All three come to the temple and the religious leaders would manage the distribution of funds accordingly. Right, this is a thing that's established by God himself. It starts in Leviticus 27. It says this, one-tenth of the produce of the land whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. So you made sure to bring these three instances of your 10% tax to the temple in Jerusalem to fund the ministry of the theocracy of Israel in that old covenant. And there were other things also on top of that, like when you would leave your field fallow for a season, like when you would leave things in your fields for people who are hungry, like when you would give to the poor and the foreigner. There were other things too that were expected and nobody knows exactly what the total amount was, but it wasn't 10%. Most scholars agree that uh, in this theocracy, in this, in this tax system under this law, that most law-abiding Jews would pay anywhere from about 25% to about 40%, 35 to 40% uh, of, of their income, of their assets in tithes all the time. So I just want to be real clear. Next blank on your page. Tithes were part of the old covenant. They were part of the old covenant with God. They were part of a covenant that existed between God and the Israelites during the time before Christ. 
post-Moses or during Moses from Moses to Jesus. They had a covenant for them at that time that was not your covenant, not my covenant, and it was very, very different. That old covenant, this is really important, that old covenant was based on keeping the law, right? I mean, there was a covenant between Israel and God and Israel had to hold up their end of the deal, right? They had to keep their side of the story. And so they had to meticulously obey the law that God had given. The law is good because the law expresses the character of God. The problem is Israel could never hold up their end of the deal. They couldn't do it. Bible says so itself. They couldn't do it, and you and I could never do that. We could never measure up to that end of the deal because our sin problem is just that strong. We're born into such brokenness. We carry such unrighteousness that no matter how hard we try, we're still in some way a slave to our unrighteousness. We are born serving the wrong master, the enemy of God, and that makes us sinful criminals against God, and it puts us under his judgment. They had a covenant where they had to keep working and working and trying and trying and never quite measuring up. That covenant is different than our covenant. Our covenant is not based on you keeping the law. Our covenant is based on the one person that perfectly kept the law. Our covenant is based on someone who has fully completed the law for us because we never could measure up, so he did. He so perfectly kept the law that God was perfectly pleased with him. He had no, no, no sin of his own, and he goes to the cross innocent. And on that cross, God was willing to transfer our debt to him, to transfer our guilt to him, to take away our shame and our guilt in sin and put it onto Jesus. And Jesus himself died for our sins in our place. He paid the price that we could never pay on our own. He died on the cross for us, rose again three days later, and brings us new life and a new covenant that's not based on our merit. It's based on his merit. It's based on what he's done for us. And so we don't, we aren't tied to maintaining the law anymore. Colossians 2 says that you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, it's you that God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by, here's how, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us along with its legal demands. Isn't that great? He doesn't just cancel our debt but he also cancels our legal demands. He cancels the law and its demands toward us, for us. In Hebrews 8, it says that when God speaks of a new covenant, 
it means that he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date, and it will soon disappear. I believe that when he says, the author of Hebrews, when he says it will soon disappear, he's alluding to, it's a prophetical statement, he's alluding to what's about to happen to the temple in Jerusalem, the temple where the Levites ministered, the temple where the tithes were taken, the temple from which all the ministry was done and the worship of God happened in the old covenant. It, it got to 70 AD, and in 70 AD, the Romans came through and knocked down the temple burn Jerusalem and from that moment to this day there has been no temple in Jerusalem you can go there and you can still see the stones piled on top of stones where the Romans knocked that temple down it doesn't exist anymore it's obsolete and out of date and in 70 AD it fully disappeared because we have a much better covenant amen it also says this in Hebrews 9. It says, For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. Yeah, all that was just temporary. And we have a much better covenant and what that means is, listen to me now, what that means is the law does not apply to us. Praise the Lord. Because if I was judged by my obedience to the law, I'd be in big, big trouble. Anybody else? I'm so grateful that I've got a high priest who mediates between me and the Father. I've got a high priest that completed all of that so that that work is done. It's finished. It's complete on the cross. And now I get to live in his grace and his mercy. And I, got, I get to live in response to him. So, so, does that mean that tithing is obsolete Yes, But wait a minute, you might say, wait a minute. Doesn't Jesus talk a lot about money? Well, absolutely he does. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. He talks a lot about money. Jesus is very interested in how you deal with money. But see, here's the thing. When he talks about money, he never, never, never gets out his calculator. He never does any math he, he doesn't give you a baseline number that should be your minimum he doesn't do that in fact in all the times he talked about money he only mentions tithing once and when he does it he's not talking to believers he's talking to pharisees who are operating the old covenant and he's scolding them on how they tithe a certain way, but they ignore the hearts of people. And so he, he mentions tithing, but he does not teach tithing. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you will not find one command from Jesus or from any of the disciples that we are to tithe. It's just not there. So maybe you're sitting here going, Whew, load off my back, you know. 
But what you do see over and over and over again is you do see an encouragement that Christians ought to be people who are marked by generous, extravagant giving. Right? And let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Let me kind of unpack what that's all like. In fact, as I study through the scripture about how the New Testament and specifically how Jesus talks about money, I find several principles there and I had to narrow it down to two for time. So uh, I found a bunch, but I narrowed it down to two that I just really thought that we should talk about this morning. Uh, New Testament principles about, about giving. Not tithing, about giving. Because all of us struggle with giving, don't we? Don't we struggle? Unless you really have the gift of giving, we all to some degree struggle with giving. Well, should I give? Should I withhold? Should I give this much? Should I only give that much? I look at my checking account and oh my gosh, and I better just, you know, and we struggle with it to some degree. And I think that the reason we struggle with it is because of the first principle. And it's the next blank on your page. Here it is. He is the owner and I am the steward. You see, we struggle because we think we're the owner. We think it belongs to us. And we think that we got to do what we think is best with it. But you know, Jesus tells several stories about masters and servants. And you know these stories about how he allocates money to servants. These aren't, these aren't, you know, wait at your table and wash your feet kind of servants. These servants are household manager kind of servants. They're in charge of managing the economia, the, the economy of the master's large wealth. And so the master's about to go away, probably on a big business trip, and he allocates funds to his servants. And, and then he, after he comes back, he grades the servants on their ability to get a return. Right? Right? So clearly, Jesus is interested in how we deal with money. He talks a lot about being willing to give, not holding on to money, because it belongs to the master, not to you, not to me. It's his. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And in Matthew 6, 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And he says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You got to pick who the master is. Is it you, the master over your money? Is it the money that's the master over you? Or is God the master? Does it all not belong to him? So Jesus says, actually earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He's saying that the way you handle money is a reflection of your heart. The way you handle money, you hear me? It's a reflection of your heart. What is your heart really devoted to? What are you really at your core of your being? What are you really all about? 
Jesus is sending his disciples out to go and to preach the gospel and to do ministry. This is not the great commission moment. This is one of the earlier times that he's sending them out. And one of the things he tells them is a great principle for us. He says this, give as freely as you have received. It's Matthew 10, 8, give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as you, what have you received from God? You were dead and he's made you alive. You were an object of God's wrath and he's made you a co-heir with Christ. You were a miserable wretch, a failure, a slave to sin and now he's turning you into a slave to righteousness. What have you received from him? I love going out to eat every now and then with my wife. I love going to get a good steak. I thought you would amen the steak. <laughs> I love getting a good steak. I love going to a nice restaurant. Uh, I love, I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna be honest, we don't go out to really nice restaurants that often. Most of the time it's, you know, Taco Bell. <laughs> but I love going out occasionally to a nice restaurant and getting a nice, really good meal. And when I go to a sit-down restaurant, I just made a decision a long time ago, I'm gonna tip well. And if the service is good, I'm gonna tip well. If the service is bad, I'm gonna tip well. Because I believe, you know, might be bad service tonight, but everybody has a bad day, and I'm gonna be a blessing whether they're a blessing or not. So I just kind of made up my mind. Now, I won't tip as well if uh, you're a poor, if, I mean, if I can't find you when I need you, if my glass is empty, if the food never shows up and you don't ever come out and tell me anything, I, I'm not gonna tip you as well, but I'm still gonna tip you well. But if you're a, if you're a, a table server and you, you're, you're out there all the time, keeping my drink full, making sure everything's okay, bringing me whatever I need, um, dude, I'm gonna tip you really, really well. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna stop at just you know, what's expected. I'm gonna tip you well. I, I'm gonna treat you with respect and I'm gonna try to be a blessing to you long as you keep my tea filled and my table clean. But listen, God has given me so much that I never wanna treat God like I treat a waiter or a waitress. I never wanna tip God as if he kept my table clean and my tea filled. He's given me so, so, so much more that I want my giving to be a reflection of what he's given me. He's been so generous with me in my life that I just want to express that generosity back out any way that I can. I want to be faithful to be used by him. What I mean by that is, next blank on your page, that this is about gratitude, not about math. You give from your heart. And if you're calculating out, I just feel like if you're calculating out, okay, what's, what's you know, at the absolute minimum I can get by with? Where's your heart really? I just want to give as generously as I can. Paul says to the church at Corinth, actually, I tell you what, he's, he's, he's setting them up for a big gift because there's a need in the church and they need to, to bring some money in and he's setting them up to give. And so he tells them to take the collection before I even arrive and then I'll help you distribute it. And he says this, remember, 
in 2 Corinthians 9, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, listen, I know you've heard preachers say that when you give a little bit, God will give you a little bit back. When you give more, God will give you more. And they're talking about financial blessings. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He is tying financial giving to spiritual growth. He's saying that when you give, yeah, God gives back, but he gives back of himself. It may be money, but good grief, listen, he is the treasure. He is the value add in your life. He is the blessing. And so Paul is saying that the, if you give a little bit, well, you'll, it'll spur a little faith in your life. But if you give more, it'll spur giant faith in your life. So he ties giving to spiritual growth. And he goes on, verse 7, he says, you must each decide, look at this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly and don't give in response to pressure. Don't let somebody guilt you into the basic bare amount that you ought to get by with. This is the closest command to an amount that we have in the New Testament. And he's saying, give from your heart. Don't be reluctant and don't give into pressure. And he says this, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God, hear me, God loves a cheerful giver. The, I love this because it's hilarious. Literally, the Greek word here that's translated cheerfully, that's not on your screen, there it is. The Greek word translated cheerfully is actually the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. So we ought to be rolling on the floor laughing to be able to give back to God. You see that in the New Testament. You see the church coming together, knowing there's a need at another church, and they're literally begging the apostles, please let us give to the church. And Paul is going, no, you don't have any money. You're destitute yourself. And they're like, don't steal the blessing from us. Please let us give. Take, take my money and let God use it. God loves a hilarious giver. And he goes on and he says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Yeah, he's saying that if you respond to God in faith and you give what he's laid on your heart, he's never gonna leave you hanging. He's always gonna take care of you. That's what he's saying. I know, I, now listen, I know, because I've been there. I know some of you guys right now, I understand. You're, you're sitting there going, look, I don't make enough to give. And I've been there. I'm telling you, I've been there. And I'm a pastor, so I hear that all the time. And here's the dirty secret. Everybody says, I don't make enough to give. Doesn't matter what their income level is. Everybody says, I don't make enough to give. You'll never make enough to give. You never will. You're always going to be searching and stretching to get higher and higher on that whole thing. You don't make enough to give, but listen to me. Wherever you are, whatever your income level, when you say this, I'm just telling you from my experience, when you say, I don't make enough to give, what you're saying 
is I don't think God is really that good of a provider and I don't trust him. I'm the owner and I got to manage my household well. This is a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. And all I can tell you is that I've struggled with it myself in my life. For years, I was giving God my leftovers. I was giving to God last. I was tipping God. And our financial life was a disaster. And all I can tell you, all I can tell you is that it wasn't until we got it in the right order. It wasn't until we started giving to God first, putting him first, seeking him first, and making sure that he got what I believed he wanted from me, putting him first. That's, that's when our finances all fell into place. I can't explain it. We didn't have a big income increase. We just had a giving increase, and God changed everything and we're never going back. Here's what I've learned in my life. It's not a blank on your page, but it's really important to me. My obedience is how I walk in his faithfulness. I'm gonna say that again. My obedience is how I walk in his faithfulness. We all wanna see the faithfulness of God in our lives and the path through his faithfulness is obedience. Does that make sense? Am I, is, am I making any sense? Yes? Thank you. Okay. So here's how it works for us in my family. In my family, we got a baseline. You know, it's not a tithe. Um, it's a baseline. It's sort of a non-negotiable minimum. We will always give this much. We're not gonna go below this. This is what we're given. It comes out first. It's, it's a priority for us. We give this much to the church to support the ministry of the church. Biblical thing. Paul says that anybody working in the gospel ministry should be supported by the people they're ministering to. It's very clear in scripture. So we give to support the staff and the ministries of uh, this church. And then at times, God leads us to other need, other opportunities where we step up and we give above and beyond that. We don't mess with the baseline, but there's plenty of times where we step up and give above and beyond that. So that's kind of how it works in, in my life. We don't call it a tithe. Uh, for us, I think it's a little bit better than 10%. Uh, and I just encourage you uh, to be someone who gives first because he is the owner and you are the steward. But then you come to a campaign like this one, like the one we're in now. And this is different. It's not the same thing. For us, it's not, it has nothing to do with the baseline. For us, this is an above and beyond. This is something different as we aim for a future building for our church. And I know right now you're clenching just a little bit and you're going, what? Above and beyond? I can't even afford to give the basic bare minimum. And so now you're talking about above and beyond. There's no way that's gonna happen in my life. And I understand. I, I would encourage you to start with a baseline. I would encourage you to pick a minimum and start there and say, I'm, I'm doing this. God comes first, whatever that looks like. God comes first and stick with that. 
But I want to encourage you also to be praying towards that pledge day, that commitment day that we've got on February 11th, and just ask God what he wants you to do over the next 24 months and see what he would do in your life. I know it's kind of a big lump in your throat to think about that. So all I can do is tell you my story on this particular campaign. See, I've been through building campaigns before, and all of them were me giving last and tipping God. And so for me, for me, building campaigns in other churches have not been good experiences. Uh, it's been money, 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 and then I get guilted into giving money, and then I make a pledge that I'm going to do this much money, and then I don't follow through well. I do like a quarter of it, like a third of it, and I fail, and more guilt because I was arm twisted into it. But I got to tell you my story. Now, listen, I'm just going to be honest. This is a story that, you know, I'm not sure I would believe this story if somebody else told me. All right, but I just got, I believe God did this in my life so that I could tell you this story and that it would encourage you to walk in obedience and walk in his faithfulness. So um, it was last summer, 2023. We're getting ready for this campaign. We know this day is coming. And I know that leaders go first. I know leaders have to go first. I know that if, if the Dusex aren't sacrificially giving in this campaign, we can't ask anybody to give because that just makes us hypocrites. So we got to lead. I'm calling all of our leaders to lead. We're going to lead a little bit early. We're going to lead by committing on that Tuesday before that Sunday when the, all the rest of us commit. So I knew we had to lead and I knew it had to be significant. I knew it couldn't be just tipping God. So I sat down with my wife, with Sherry, and we had that conversation. I was like, hey, we gotta lead this. We gotta be faithful in this. We gotta do this or we can't ask anyone. So what's our number? What, what are we gonna do over 24 months? And she didn't wanna commit to a number. And I didn't either. So we kind of hemmed and hawed and we talked about how much money we got, you know, at the end of every month, and you compound that over 24. How are we going to, you know, so we talked for a minute or two, and we, we just felt like that was leftovers, and we felt like that wasn't appropriate, and so we didn't know what to do but pray about it. So we did that cheesy Christian couple thing where, okay, we don't have the answer, so you go pray about it for a week, and I'll pray about it for a week, and we'll come back together next week, and we'll see if our numbers match. <laughs> I know, stupid, lame, faithless, cheesy Christian, but that's what we did. We did it in the summertime this past year. And we came, uh, we went away, we went away separately. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, I didn't have to pray very much. God laid a number. I mean, he just put a number heavy on my heart. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. I've been part of building campaigns before and this number for, for us was a real lump in the throat kind of number. Like as in, I'm looking at my 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 budget, and I don't. I, over 24 months, I can't. God, I don't even know if I can come up with that amount of money. Like, we can't have one light bulb go out, <laughs> you know. Uh, and we've got to. We can't pay our taxes this year. And you know, maybe if we, you know, I mean, just I'm I'm telling God all these. And not only that, but. <clears throat> 
God, I'm driving a 200 plus thousand mile truck that nobody in my family will ride in because it's that bad. And uh, the air conditioner doesn't work and I'm, I'm spending lots of money just to keep it running all the time. And it's just terrible. I got to get out from under this old truck and I was planning to do that, but I, there's just no way. God, you're making me choose between a truck and you. Oh, yeah. Okay. God just had that number on my heart, hard. So the week goes by and Sherry and I get back together again and I'm praying, God, let her number be way lower. Let her number be way lower, <laughs> way lower. Let's negotiate, you know. And we sat down at the kitchen table and that short lady's number was the same number I had. Exactly. And I mean just I couldn't believe it and she looked at me and she says I know what this means for you it means no truck for you you're just out of luck and we just had to talk about it and I said well maybe she said it one of us said is it's God's not ours it's God's not ours and I just decided that day if I have to hitchhike to work every day so be it you know if I gotta walk you know so be it um, God's put this on our heart and we're gonna be obedient to him if you want to experience his faithfulness it's in our obedience and so we're gonna do what he says and we're gonna suck it up for, tw for two years and we might not eat until 2028 <laughs> but we're gonna suck it up and we're gonna do this we're gonna obey so we decided on that number, wrote it down. And here's the thing. I can't explain it, and I've never seen it before in my life. But over the next few months, God began to work circumstances in our lives. And let me tell you the miracle that he did. Over the next few months, God brought in to our household 100% of the money that we pledged for 24 months and today, in cash, all of that pledge money is in an envelope at our house that says on it, it's God's, not ours. Paid in full. We're not gonna be making monthly payments. When we have pledge day, we're gonna pay that full pledge in cash, that pledge that God laid on our heart. Not only that, but I felt released by God to get a newer truck back in December. Thank you, Lord, I got a newer truck. And now, now we're gonna be able to give above and beyond what we even pledged that we would give. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So, I, uh, <clears throat> I just learned a long time ago that I'm not going to be afraid of lump in your throat amounts. And even though I get a little weak need about it when God lays it on my heart, I'm not going to be afraid because He is the one that is faithful. He is the value that you get out of this deal. It's not that you're gonna get, I mean, in this case, God just provided the money. It's not that you should count on getting money. He is the goal. Jesus says, don't try to hang on to your life. Let go of it. Because when you try to hang on to your life, you try to save your life, what do you end up doing? Losing it. And he says, better to lose it for my sake 
than just to lose it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all the rest will be added to you. I just want to have the heart of the servant because the servant's heart, it's the last blank on your page, is this, you can have it all. You can have it all. God, it is yours, not mine. I surrender all. Amen? Amen. Amen.